0: Welcome to Homeschool Companion, your source for information, motivation, and inspiration. If you're part of the homeschool community or simply interested in learning more about home based education, stay tuned. Together we'll examine the latest resources, learning styles, and teaching techniques. We'll speak with experts in the field to help you uncover every homeschool advantage. We'll also present suggestions on how to keep Christ in the curriculum as we explore fresh ways to teach and learn. Here's your homeschool companion host, author, educator, and children's ministry specialist, Dr. Rose Gamblin.
1: Welcome, welcome. I'm here with Dr. Jerry Newcomb. He is the co-author of more than 30 books, including the bestseller, George Washington's Sacred Fire, which he wrote with Dr. Peter Lilback. And uh, the other book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? He wrote with Dr. Kennedy. Newcomb's books also include Doubting Thomas, The Life and Legacy of Thomas Jefferson, and the book That Made America, How the Bible Formed Our Nation. All of these are great books. And I also would like to share with our listeners the website that they could go to Dr. Jerry Newcomb,
0: Uh Actually, just jerrynucomb.com. Yes. Uh, thank you, Rose. Good to be with you.
1: So that's all spelled out, and it is j-e-r-r-y-n-e-w-c-o-m-b-e dot com.
0: That's correct.
1: And we're going to talk about the book called American Amnesia. So let's set the stage. First of all, where did you get the title, and why is, was it important for you to write this book?
0: Well, this book is a collection of essays that I've been writing. I write a weekly column for D. James Kennedy Ministries, my employer, uh, and those columns appear at WorldNet Daily and then often at Town Hall and Christian Post and other outlets. And all of the more than 100 uh, columns in, in this particular book all deal with America in one way or another. Part one is essentially our Judeo-Christian roots, including the history of Thanksgiving. Uh, Part two then deals with what our role should be as Christian citizens and citizens of goodwill. And then part three is talking about the threats to religious freedom, uh, you know, in a nation that was basically founded for religious freedom.
1: Yeah, so let's start with the pilgrims. You know, they they came here because they, of religious persecution. Yes. And so how does that fit into, I mean, I, I'm understanding that the history, we, we need to remember the history. What would, be, what would you say would be the most important thing to remember about the pilgrims?
0: Well, first of all, the pilgrims were a very small group. It was essentially a particular congregation that decided mm-hmm. because they were so persecuted in england they decided first to go to holland and then and at first things were working out well there but they had to work so long and they were starting to lose their children within their particular congregation so they decided after having hearing heard about hearing about the permanency of the jamestown settlements in the new world they decided what well, what if we go to the northern parts of virginia with permission and we can create a settlement there and worship Jesus Christ in the purity of the gospel and not be harassed like we were back in our native England. And so they uh, were able to do that. They came over in the Mayflower. And by the way, they they did this piecemeal where the Mayflower contained about 50 of this congregation that consisted of about 400 to 500 people in Leiden, Mm. Holland. And then they sent over other pilgrims later, And, you know, piece by piece by piece until basically, uh, you know, the congregation kind of, you know, ended up most of them were in America, in the New World. But they had so many difficulties. It was just one problem after another in the whole process, including the voyage in the Mayflower, including when they landed in the New World, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when they had their first harvest in 1621, in the spring, I'm sorry, in the fall of 1621, Despite all the difficult circumstances, they gave thanks to God. They said, thank you, Lord, for all the blessings. They concentrated on what the Lord had done and given to them, rather than concentrating on what they had lost or what they didn't have. And they gave thanks to him. And they gave a great example to us, a model to us, not only at Thanksgiving time, but throughout the rest of the year.
1: So how many years ago was that? Would that be...
0: Well, the, uh, the Pilgrims came in November of 1620, and they gave Thanksgiving in the fall of 1621, after the harvest. And, uh, and by the way, they made an agreement of peace with the Indians, and it was a wonderful, long-lasting treaty that uh, you know lasted for years and years and years. And they celebrated the first Thanksgiving over a period of three days with the, their new friends, the Indians, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And what's interesting is that President George Washington, uh, when he was the first president under the U.S. Constitution, declared a day of Thanksgiving as a holiday and made that in in November in, in 1789, a particular November. And then Abraham Lincoln, jumping ahead about 80 years later, He made Thanksgiving as an annual holiday, also in November, and then the U.S. Congress under FDR in the 1930s made the fourth Thursday of every November as our national holiday. But think about it, just the idea, Rose, that we would have a national day of Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. to God. It's an annual reminder of our rich Judeo-Christian heritage as Americans.
1: And do you think it would be possible in this day and age to get that passed through Congress if it if it was now that we were...
0: Oh, I doubt it. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> in fact, the new Congress is trying to undo more and more of our religious heritage and more and more of our Christian mm-hmm. freedoms. The Founding Fathers did not want a national denomination, but... At the time that they adopted the First Amendment, which uh, says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, at the time that they uh, created or uh, created and adopted those words as our First Amendment, they actually had state denominations, mm-hmm. state churches in some of the different uh, states. And um, none of those were ever declared unconstitutional. The last one to go was Massachusetts in 1833. It was the Congregational Church. In Virginia, it was the Anglican Church or the Episcopal Church. That was the, the church by law established. What the founders didn't want, though, was a national denomination. They certainly did not want to separate God and state. They hired, they had chaplains hired for the legislatures and for the military. We
1: mm-hmm. still have
0: those. The ACLU, by the way, and other groups have challenged those. Oh, that's unconstitutional. That violates the separation of church and state. Well, wait a minute. The separation of church and state is not, you know, a doctrine found in the Constitution. You could say, you can argue that there's a type of it. There's a separation of the institution of the church from the institution mm-hmm. of the state. But the founders never intended, never a separation of God and state in America because our nation's birth certificate the Declaration of Independence mentions God four times and most importantly says that God is the source of our rights and our liberties and when the Creator has given us these rights it is wrong for the government to in any way try to usurp those rights. That's what the Declaration of Independence is all about and our Constitution is predicated on the Declaration of Independence. And as Americans, this is the essence of what it means to be an American, is to recognize that we are one nation under God, that God is the source of our liberties. And today, we suffer from American amnesia where we have forgotten these basic things.
1: You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, how is it that we still have Thanksgiving because it's continuously reminding us of the roots of where our country came from.
0: I agree. Now, it's certainly minimized. uh, You know, you don't see many, uh, you know, reminders of Thanksgiving necessarily in the street celebrations. I mean, for example, we just had Halloween a couple weeks ago, and there's all kinds of (laughs) Go, 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 <laughs> goblins and ghosts and skeletons that people put on their lawns, and so how, how many turkeys do you see mm-hmm. at Thanksgiving time? Not many, <laughs> you know, and then in a couple of weeks we'll see lots and lots mm-hmm. of Christmas uh, lights and so forth, usually very secular-oriented, but still, even Santa Claus is a, is derived in the Christian tradition. Santa Claus, of course, is Saint Nicholas, mm-hmm. a real man, a, you know, a bishop from Myra, which is modern day in modern-day Turkey, um, or It's a city that has been renamed, but it was in, well, what is today, Turkey. And it was part of the Christian tradition. But anyway, bottom line is Thanksgiving, I think, is often marginalized Mm -hmm. uh, between Halloween and and Christmas. But I love it because it's a uniquely American holiday, and the pilgrims, I think, are a great model for us to give thanks at all circumstances.
1: Now, do you think that they already... Espouse the idea of manifest destiny at that point, the pilgrims?
0: Uh, the pilgrims, you know, quite honestly, the, the whole story of the pilgrims is a very simple one. They just wanted to worship Jesus Christ in the purity of the gospel and wanted to be left alone. And uh, they, even when they set out, they got the government's permission, that is, from King James himself through intermediaries, and King James harassed them. He harassed Presbyterians, he harassed Puritans, he harassed all nonconformists. In fact, one of his phrases was no bishop, mm. no king. I can control my subjects through mm-hmm. the bishops. But if if these religious nonconformists, these Christian nonconformists like the Pilgrims, uh don't acknowledge the authority of the bishops over them, their spiritual authority, then I can't control them. And so he wanted to harass them out of the land. Well, anyway, bottom line is um they got his permission to sail to the northern parts of Virginia, but this and that in that day, Virginia was much larger on the map, and in this part that they were sailing for would be about where Manhattan is today mm-hmm. uh, and they were blown off course they were about five hundred miles blown off course, and they had to actually uh do something to bind them together as a group because they were afraid that some of the people amongst them would set out on their own, especially the, the hired hands that they had that were Christians, but they weren't part of the spiritual covenant that made, them, made the pilgrims what they were in this one particular congregation. And so anyway, they created something called the Mayflower Compact, and that was the first type of covenant, constitution, frame of government, compact or whatever created by people in this land and it literally paved the way to the US Constitution it was the first of about a hundred uh, compacts frames of government uh, written self-agreements for government that these people created under God and then binding each person to another Amen. in their creation of this new colony and they they literally started the process of Constitution making in writing the mayflower compact and it it begins in the name of god amen, amen. that's kind of <laughs> how america began in the sense in the name of god yes, amen. amen and they say we whose names are underwritten having undertaken a voyage for the glory of god and the advancement of the christian faith do covenant and combine ourselves into a civil body mm. politic so they made this agreement for self-government and as one historian dr donald lutz of the university of houston puts it he said that uh, eventually We, whose names are underwritten in the Mayflower Compacts, morphs into we, Mm -hmm. the people, in the U.S. Constitution from 1787. So you go from 1620 to 1787. It's a fascinating history.
1: And we want to talk a little bit about the Native Americans, which haven't always had the best handout to them. How do you address that in your book?
0: Well, I think the most important thing to recognize overall is that when Christian people acted in a Christian way toward everybody, including the Native Americans, it was significantly better for everybody. The Pilgrims are a great example. If if their example had been followed uh, by the United States government uh, and other colonies as well throughout the history, honestly, the the history of America would have been quite different, and would have been quite improved, Mm -hmm. the Pilgrims made a long-lasting treaty of peace with the Indians. They did not steal land. In fact, I was talking with um, a gentleman that I did an interview with named Leo Martin from the Jenny Museum, J-E-N-N-E-Y Museum in Plymouth, Massachusetts. He said there was no land that the Pilgrims bought without the approval of the Indian chief, Massasuits, mm. with whom they had made peace. So they didn't steal anything, they, they negotiated with things, they, they, they paid a fair price, they lived by the golden rule, which Jesus Christ is the one, of course, who first articulated, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And their treaty of peace lasted for many, many years. And in fact, it wasn't even broken until later, one of the Indians... Uh, ended up breaking it and that was quite unfortunate. Now other uh, Christian leaders throughout our American history that treated the Indians well, they also are exemplary. William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, uh, he treated the Indians extremely well and paid them a fair price for everything and for the land and so forth. And the same could be said for Roger Williams. Unfortunately, tragically, it would not be correct to say that America always treated the Indians well or properly, uh, but some d- treated them very well overall, others did not. Uh, and so, you know, with when Andrew Jackson, even though he was a professing Christian, you have the Veil of Tears where Indians, where they basically, um, you know, misused the Indians and mistreated them and, and so forth. And, you know, they went back on their treaties. I'm talking about the Americans did, and, and that's awful. I think some of the worst mistreatment of the Indians occurred in the second half of the 19th century, so in the late 1800s, and a lot of this was from uh, the some of those northern generals. They had been victorious in the Civil War, and then they go on to the West, and then they you know, uh, rack up all kinds of victories against the Indians, but it's just a lot of it's just an ugly part of our history. And, uh, you know, you you remember when they were trying to tear down statues of Robert E. Lee and people like that? Well, I wrote a column at the time, I was like, you know, you look at Robert E. Lee and the man tried to be honorable and everything. In fact, he inherited some slaves by marriage. He freed those slaves before he was even obliged to do so, uh, before the law required him to do so. He did so out of Christian conviction and felt that, that the, the slavery needed to stop. It was it was evil. It was unchristian. The only reason he ended up fighting on you know on the southern side of things is because he was from the south and he he felt that it was inevitable that uh, you know that that the, the United States was divided and, and that was it. It was over you know as far as the unity between the north and the south. But uh, anyway, you look at somebody like Sheridan, Philip Sheridan of the Union. Is quoted as uh, having said, the only good engine, mm-hmm. meaning Indian, the only good engine is a mm-hmm. dead engine. That's a horrible, terrible, anti Christian mm-hmm. thought. That is just so wrong on every front. And it's so, to me, it's so un American too, because our Constitution is predicated on the Declaration of Independence. And our Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in fact, Abraham Lincoln, 87 years, four score, and seven years ago, you know, when you take that date, 1863, said at Gettysburg, and I understand Mm -hmm. you teach in Gettysburg. That's cool. Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. He was referring to the Declaration of Independence. He said our forefathers created this nation based on the idea that all men are created equal. Obviously, we're not applying that Towards the you know the amongst mm-hmm. us who were being treated mistreated as slaves and of course the same thing could be said about any Indians that were mistreated so I think the bottom line is we have to look at the 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 way Christian people applying Christian principles it, it's night and day versus even somebody who professes to be Christian, but they're not living up to Christian principles. So that would include both the Indians and then also the way in which uh, African Americans have been mistreated as well. So do you
1: think that the revisionists have done a big disservice by somehow infiltrating the curriculum that's given to our students?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I'm very disturbed by what is taught to children in the schools today when it comes to America. They are given the impression that America is overall an evil country, it's been an evil force in the world, and I Mm -hmm. think that's a very wrong uh, perspective. And uh, I I appreciate the perspective of say somebody like Dinesh D'Souza, where he, having grown up in India, knowing what it's like in, in other countries, and seeing how in America you can, in his words, write your own script Uh, it's really an amazing thing in fact I would say to these people who are saying that our history stinks and you know it's so bad and this is the worst country ever and that that kind of stuff if that's so true why is it that literally tens of thousands of people in fact it probably adds up to millions over a couple of years want to get to this country are even willing to risk their lives to get to this country uh, to experience and enjoy what we experience and take for granted in America. So I'm very disheartened by the way young people are are taught to hate America, to taught that it's just this horrible, racist, sexist, homophobic, uh, xenophobic nation, and so forth. I think uh, overall, I mean, America is not perfect by any means. It never has been. But there is a, a sense in which there is and American exceptionalism, and it all gets back to our key founding documents, the uh, Declaration of Independence in particular, which says that we have God-given rights. And in a secular state, whether you're talking about Nazi Germany, or the Soviet Union, or Fidel Castro's Cuba, in a secular state, there's no higher appeal than the state itself. So if your rights get violated, you know, tough luck, Mm -hmm. buddy you know you're relegated to um the gulag or you're relegated to the you know the gallows or whatever i mean there, <laughs> the, the, in fact the, the secular state has a terrible track record when it comes to just literally killing tens of millions of people who are nonconformist in their particular uh setting and so america for all of its flaws um, has a, is a great blessing to many people and still continues to be and this is why people risk their lives, despite all the rhetoric of of the left in this country, which really hates America deep down, and is at war with our Judeo-Christian mm. heritage.
1: Well, we're almost to the end of the show. So what words of encouragement, if you, if you had one statement to say to the thousands of listeners that would encourage them to stay the course?
0: Well, I think that... Um, The statement from John Quincy Adams, sixth president, has always been an encouragement to me. He said, duty is ours, results are God's. Mm. A lot of people don't realize that John Quincy Adams did a lot to help end slavery in America. But by the time he died, he didn't see slavery ended. However, however, after he was president, he was the only president in our history Who actually returned to the House of Representatives as a Mm. congressman from Massachusetts? He returned to Congress. And while he was there, he spent a couple of years, in a sense, giving a brain dump, if you will, to a young congressman from Illinois who, 30 years later, would become our president, 16th president, Mm. Abraham Lincoln. So uh, Adams, John Quincy Adams, never got to see the end of slavery which he worked so hard to effect in his lifetime. But he helped bring about an end in his own way by helping to disciple, if you will, in a political way, uh, and mentor Abraham Lincoln. So it's important to remember, duty is ours, results are God.
1: Amen. Well, we've come to the end of the show. We'll have one last thing to say, and that is God bless.
0: You have been listening to Homeschool Companion, a production of MRG Media. Be sure to join us on Facebook. Just type in the name Homeschool Companion. For more on this or to contact us, go to mrgmediaministries.com. That's all one word, mrgmediaministries.com.